The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I wonder how Mercury retrograde is affecting all of our listeners on the show today. There's been some really interesting happenings taking place with very surprising <laughs> outcomes. I lost every single song on my mp3 player which i use for my uh, weekly meditations on monday gone i was just charging up the mp3 player and took out the connection and all the music was this had disappeared and people are having all sorts of experiences so just be really aware uh computer stuff technology backing things up saving things telephone conversations any communication any travel just double check and double check and save and back up and then when things still go wrong, all you can do is laugh because it's the trickster energy that we're involved in right now. And it seems to be uh, pretty, pretty powerful. It's on until July 20th, so it's another 10 days or so. Anyway, hopefully uh, you'll be able to ride the waves. We're also in this cancer energy of very strong emotional sensitivity. So we're on this emotional roller coaster ride right now. I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Donna Corso who has a book about to come out called When the Wind Chimes Chime. And today we're going to be talking about death and life and what all of that entails. So Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. I'm delighted to be on your show. So perhaps you could begin by telling us a little bit about yourself from the perspective of your own awakening journey. It's always good for our listeners to hear, I think, Mm -hmm. how people have have come come to their place of awareness and knowing. Okay, well, first of all, I'm a Gemini, so thanks for reminding me about that Mercury retrograde because it always <laughs> affects me deeply. Um, my awakening, well, you know, I've been on a spiritual path for my whole life, which is about 67 years, and at some point I began to question a lot of the beliefs that I grew up with and eventually started studying metaphysics pretty much in depth and many different pathways. As a child, my parents always took me to, oh, wakes and funerals. You know, they didn't, they didn't shelter me from that. And for some reason, even as a child, I had this idea that death would be the most exciting part of life. And I remember saying that once and finding out pretty quickly that that wasn't something you were supposed to say. But I've just always felt that way inside. 
And because I, I believe that life is a continuum. I believe it goes on. I believe that when we do cross over, we find out that we are still alive. So for me, I, I guess I'd have to say that life is. It just continues and continues. And I have a lot of, um, a lot of faith in the cycle of life. I, I think if we can all just relax and understand that death is the natural cycle of life, that we can really relax into it much more. So how did you actually get involved in, in writing this book, When the Wind Chimes Chime? Well, I knew a long time ago I was going to write a book someday about death and dying. It was probably about maybe 40-some years ago. I was always reading metaphysical books. And one of the first authors that I was really attracted to was Ruth Montgomery. Are you familiar with, with her? Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, my mother had all of her books, yeah. Yeah, I read all of her books, too. And she was a very credible person because she had been as you probably know, a Washington correspondent. She was in the White House a lot. She, had a, a, she was the head of the president, I think, of the Women's National Press Club. So she was a credible person, but she began to write these books. And all of her metaphysical books seemed to end with predictions, predictions of these times that we're in. And I remember writing to her one time and telling her how much I enjoyed her books, and I told her that I wasn't afraid of these coming times. I told her I thought they would be exciting, and she wrote me back. I opened my mailbox one day, and there was this little envelope with a half, half of a tablet sheet with handwriting on it, and it was from her. I wish I still had that, but I don't. Anyway, she said that, yes, I believe that you will be one of the people who will still be here during those times and that you will be helping people to die without fear. So that phrase, helping people to die without fear, is, is just something I've held in my heart for all these years. Didn't really know what that meant, and I... Maybe I still don't, but I felt that part of it is this book. And so the reason, the way I came into this particular story, I was at a meeting one evening when a, a man stood up and told his story, the story of his little boy who had died. And as soon as I heard the story, I thought, oh, this is a story that needs to be told. I think this is the book I'm supposed to write. And, you know, I just kind of follow my guidance. When I get things like that, I just know. So that's... I struck up a conversation with him. He was excited about the possibility of having his son's story be told as as his son's legacy. So that's how I came into telling it. So the first part of the book focuses on uh, this little boy who's diagnosed with, with cancer and what the family goes through. So just tell our listeners a little bit about that, that part of this, the book, the, uh, his story. Mm-hmm. Well, his name was Andreas. I never met Andreas in life. I know his parents, but he had already passed when I met his parents. He was seven years old, and he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, bone cancer. It was in his upper arm. And the way they found out about it is they bought a, a new kind of an antique record player, one of those big consoles, you know, and they put it right in their family room. And one day he was running through there on his way to watch cartoons, and he ran into it and hurt his shoulder. And his shoulder kept hurting for several days, so they finally had an x-ray taken. And it was, uh, there was a hair, hairline fracture, but they also found that there was a, a mass there, a cancer. So as it was, the, they took him to the regular hospital, and he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. They began to take x-rays, and they kept taking more and more and more x-rays. It seemed like every few days they were taking more they came to the conclusion where the doctor said that we want to amputate his arm 
We want to amputate part of his lungs, part of his ribs. We want to give him chemo and give him radiation. Now, by that time, they had already found that the cancer had spread into other bone tissue. And Andreas' father, his name is Gordy. Gordy had just put everything, put his whole life aside so he could do research while his little boy was sick just to see what he could do. And he came across, he was on a cancer forum, I believe, online, and he discovered about 300 other children who had similar cases where their doctor told them they had to do the chemo, do the traditional route, you know. And every single one of those children died anyway. But the fact that they went through all of that invasive treatment really made it a horrible death. But what Gordy learned in his research was that in all, I think he said in all except four states, you are, if your child is under 16, you absolutely have to go along with the doctor's protocol. That is the law. And some parents, he found, had actually not, not gone along with it or questioned it, and they were incarcerated. They were put in jail. And then their child was taken, made ward of the state, and the operation done anyway. So that child would have died, you know, without even having his parents comfort with him. So what Gordy said when he realized all of that, he brought his research to the doctor and said, well, you know, this is what I'm finding. All of these, all of these children that had that kind of treatment, they died anyway, and it was horrible. Isn't there some alternative? And that's, that's the key word there, alternative. As soon as he said that, the doctor said, if you try anything like that, we will take your child, we will make him ward of the state, and we will do the operation anyway. So it's like, you know, we, we don't have the choices. We don't have a choice about having possibly some alternative treatments that might be able to cure cancers. And then once we do get a cancer, we don't have choices about how we can even die peacefully. And so uh, in terms of the actual story, uh, Andreas himself going through this process as a little seven-year-old boy, what sense uh, do you have from Gordy and the family of, of how he was handling all of this himself? Well, Gordy and, jo- and his wife, Joey, they talked it over and they said, we just, we just can't put Andreas through this. Um, possibly if it hadn't already spread into other bone tissue, maybe they would have considered it, but it had. And actually, there were several mistakes made by the doctors, by the hospitals. They were dropping appointments. They would show up for appointments, wait a long time, and find that they had forgotten to put it on the schedule. They also were taking it over and over again, as I said, more x-rays, more MRIs, all kinds of tests, and that just exacerbates cancer in the first place. So... Gordy and Joey just decided we are not going to put him through this anymore. So actually, they knew someone. Gordy knew someone who had a connection in China, a a Chinese medical doctor who works with people using Qigong and using Chinese herbs and other things like that. And he offered to do this for free if Gordy could bring Andreas over to China. And this this is a medical doctor who has cured many, many Americans who have gone there with cancers of all kinds. So as it happened, they managed to get Andreas out of the country, and it happened to be right at the very moment that they were supposed to be checking into the the uh, medical place for the operation to happen because they were threatened. They were threatened by Child Protective Services over and over and over again that if they didn't go along with this, they would take him and make him ward of the state. They also threatened to take the other children. They had two other boys to make them ward of the state because they were considered to be negligent parents if they didn't go along with the doctor's protocol. So anyway, they managed to get him over to China, 
when they got to China, it was just Gordy and Andreas, Joey and the other two children stayed home. When they got to China, the doctor came the next morning and brought two Qigong masters, and these are old men, Qigong masters from a 6,000-year lineage of Qigong masters. And they got around Andreas, and they talked to each other in Chinese, and pretty soon they bowed to Andreas, and they left the room. I mean, they left. So um, Gordy went over to the interpreter and said, well, what did they say? You know, can they help him? And the interpreter said, they have identified Andreas as a very ancient soul, and that this is his soul's way of leaving the planet. And that neither your invasive Western medicine, nor our Eastern Qigong or herbal medicine, none of it is going to make this soul stay because he's on his way out. They also advised Gordy that Andreas is the teacher and you need to really pay attention to, to what he says because you're the student, he is the teacher. So in other words, we, they really couldn't have saved him, whether it was, you know, with the, with the chemo and radiation and all of that, or even with their Qigong. He, he just progressed too far beyond that. But, but it was his soul's purpose, they said, and I believe that. So, Donna, that, that's, that's a really, really critical point in the whole story, is we, we have this sort of belief system about life and death and, and living a long life, and, and yet in this case, obviously, uh, Andreas was only coming for a limited time period for some reason. Mm-hmm. What, what's, your, what's your sense of that? I do believe that, and that's why I included in the very beginning and at the end of my book, I have a little, a little scenario. Some people might read that and think of it as a fairy tale, but I personally feel that it, it's possibly true. I, I designed a little scenario where these souls came together. They were in between lifetimes because I believe personally that we come back many, many lifetimes here and that in between lifetimes we gather together and design what we're going to do in the next lifetime. So I believe personally that they came together, that Gordy and his wife Joey and Andreas and the other two brothers and perhaps other souls came together and designed what was going to occur in this lifetime and that there had been an agreement that they're not aware of, of course, in this life here, but that they had an agreement that Andreas would be staying for about seven years and that his purpose in this life I think is really to call attention to the medical institute, to the medical industry, and just showing that they've become so out of balance with the natural harmony of life and death. And that, to me, is his leg, part of his legacy. Now, I think there are other purposes for him having come as well. Um, I, I mentioned in the end of the book that his father has a program. It's called The Secret to the Unlimited Child, and because Gordy always had this idea that he wanted to help children to remember who they are right from the very beginning. Because Gordy, and that's Andreas's father, had, has, you know, all his life he's been reading these books and taking classes to kind of remember who he is and just know how to get through life in a, in a congruent way. And he often wondered, why do I have to study this to figure it out? Why wasn't I taught this as a child? Why are we not just reinforced from the moment we're born that we are magnificent beings, that we are beautiful, that we have the power to do anything we want? Just all of the really wonderful things that empowers us as human beings. So he wanted to design a program for children to do that. And his program, and I don't know um, if his website is up right now, but his program is basically at this point a series of um, CDs that have music to a particular beat, and then it has affirmations, 
and there's one for each day of the week, and he has affirmations that, the, you know, just empower the child, and then eventually the affirmations get fainter and fainter so the child can go to sleep with these things. And that way, this is like for children before they get into the video games and all of these stuff in the world, the, um, the violence on TV, to just really help them to remember that they have the power in their lives and give them a really positive start in life. So that's what right. his program, you know, Andreas wanted to be a part of that as well. Well, thank you, Donna. And we've got to come to our first break right now, so we'll take that break. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tung. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com, where all of the radio shows are archived. And my newsletters are also archived there. My latest uh, June and July newsletters are there for your enjoyment. And also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com and our Ambassadors of Light classes, one of which will take place tomorrow at 5.30 in the evening, where I'll be talking about all sorts of bits and pieces uh, that are happening in the world today, not least of which is the visit of Matt Kahn, uh, who's been on the show a couple of times, who's coming to my hometown of Victoria, B.C. this next weekend. I have with me today Donna Corso, who's about to put out a book called When the Wind Chimes, Chime, and we'll be talking about what that means uh, shortly, Donna. But I just wanted to go back to a couple of points that you made in the book 
uh, one of which was that there may be some involvement with uh, fluoride in the water system in this little boy's cancer. W- what can you tell us about that? Well, first of all, I don't want to claim to be an expert on this. I'm really not, but the little bit of research that I've done has certainly convinced me, and so I like to recommend that people do a lot of research on it. I think there are two sides to every story, and I think that there's a chemical industry that needs to sell their product, in this case a waste product, and then I think there is another side, which are whistleblowers who try to alert us to dangers. So the uh, fluoride that is put into our water, there's been a lot of lawsuits that for environmental for air pollution and so they were not allowed to put it up into smokestacks that's my understand at least and so they put scrubbers in the smokestacks and then they have this water that's polluted with fluoride and other things i believe that there's also uh, many other things in there for instance lead arsenic mercury cadmium and so and they're not allowed to release it into the rivers and lakes either. So they devised a plan to put it into our drinking water and tell us that it's really good for us. And I'm, I'm not here to say that it's not, but the research I've done says that it's not. That it, and there seems to be a possible, only a possible connection between bone cancer in particular, osteosarcoma, which is what Andreas had, and in children who are around his age because there's a growth spurt, my understanding is, around seven years old. They have a growth spurt, and they really take that into the bones a lot at that time. And um, I I had something in the book that talked about that, that he came across an article that even said that to specify the the age seven. So, uh, And the National Cancer Institute said that there may be a possible relationship between those. So I think it's really important that I... I really listen to whistleblowers a lot more than I do to industries that I know are, are benefiting financially from a product like that. So I think it's really important to do our research and find out. Now, my community, my town that I live in doesn't fluoridate the water, but I know that where he was living at the time when, when, they were, when he was a child that it was a very highly fluoridated area. And I won't say where that was, but... You know, we really have to understand what we're putting into our bodies, whether it's through our water, through our food, through our air. There are toxic chemicals in all of it, so it's important to really have a pure, as pure of a lifestyle as we can, including what we ingest. And this brings up uh, an even bigger question, and that is the, the freedom of choice that we as human beings like to believe that we have, mm-hmm. partic- particularly in the, in the developed Western world. But earlier, you, you, you gave the sense or the impression that uh, as far as the medical system was concerned, this family had no choice in what they could or couldn't do to support their own child. So mm-hmm. is, there, is there any way that, that we can actually create a situation where families do have choice about their children? It seems a, a very outdated notion that you don't. I don't know that I can answer that for children. As far as adults go, we have choices, but we have to really be forceful about holding on to those choices. Uh, my understanding is if your child is under 16, you have to go by the state laws. I think it's a state law situation, and even to be able to incorporate alternative treatments along with it. So I, I don't know how to answer that for children. I think people need to find out what their state laws are. They would have to probably go to the state medical board, find out, you know, ask the questions before their children ever get sick, and hopefully they won't. But if they do, find out, you know, what are my options if my child has a terminal, a terminal disease of some kind. 
Okay, thank it's you. A tough, it's a tough question, you know. For yeah, children. absolutely. Yeah, know. yeah. So let's go back to the title of the book, When the Wind Chimes Chime. Where does that come from? Those were actually Andreas's very last words as he was dying. When they came back from China and they realized that they weren't going to be able to find a cure for him, and they did try several other things after that here in this country. They had to kind of go under under the radar to get to other alternative doctors, but by the time they got to them, it was too late. Perhaps if they had had the, cho- the freedom of choice to explore some of those kind of treatments early on when they first found out he had cancer, it may have been a different story. They might have been able to find a cure because there are many doctors. I, I really love Suzanne Summers' recent book, Knockout, because she interviews many doctors who are curing cancer. And maybe, maybe Andreas could have been helped, but since he was not permitted to, to go that route, he couldn't be helped. So um, at the very end of his life, they found themselves in another state across the country from where they lived, and he was really near the end, and they, they volunteered, the hospital he was in there volunteered a, a, a Learjet to bring him back to his home. When he got to his hometown, they took him directly to a hospital, and he only lived a few more days. But at the very last moments, he took his oxygen mask off, and his daddy went over to the bed to put it back on, and Andreas took his daddy's arm and said, turn off my lungs. And he said it again, turn off my lungs, because I believe that he knew that, his, that the breath is what was holding him in life. And then he lived only a few more moments after that, and very faintly as he was dying, his daddy heard him say, when the wind chimes chime. I asked Gordy what he thought Andreas meant by that, and Gordy said, well, I think he meant that when I hear wind chimes, that means he's near me, he's nearby or think of him whenever there's wind chimes. And that may be a a part of it, but what I remembered was, uh, you're familiar with Danny and Brinkley, the author of Saved by the Light and many other books, right? Absolutely, yeah. He's been on this show, actually, yeah. Yes. And I remembered that in reading his earlier books, and he had been clinically dead a couple of times. He had near-death experiences, but one time in particular, I remembered he had been clinically dead for 28 minutes. He was actually on a gurney with a sheet over him. They were getting ready to take him, I guess, down to the morgue or wherever. And then someone noticed a puff of breath, and he had come back into his body. And in his book, he talks about his journey in that in that 28 minutes when he was out of his body. I always remember that he said that when he was in that tunnel between this life and the next dimension that he heard wind chimes. And so I talked to, to Danny on the phone and I asked him about this, told him a little bit about Andreas' story. And he said, yes, that when, when we're going through that tunnel, and I assume people may be or may, maybe not be familiar with a tunnel, but it's, I guess, an energetic tunnel that connects this life on this dimension with the higher dimensions. And he says that there is a, that we shift our frequency as we're going through that tunnel and that as our frequency is adjusting to the next frequency, that we hear music often. Some people might hear it as celestial music, maybe harps or whatever, but he always heard it as wind chimes. And so Danian feels that Andreas was probably in that tunnel at the time. He took his oxygen mask off because he realized the breath is what was holding him here. And then he was most likely hearing the sound of wind chimes as he was going on to the next dimension. And I thought it was also a great title for a book. So why not? It, it certainly is. <laughs> now, now that moment of that moment when when uh, the spirit, the soul, whatever it is, leaves the body mm-hmm. in that moment of death. Uh, I'm assuming, as you've written uh, a book about this, that you've experienced that moment with other people. 
I haven't actually been there at that moment. When my mother was dying just about five or six years ago, I had flown back the near the end of her life, you know, and was with her the last few days. My sister and I sat with her in the hospital and just held her hand, and she was not, I don't know if she was in a coma, but she was not conscious at all during that time, but she passed at four in the morning, so I wasn't actually with her. I wish I, I could be with someone at that moment. I think it would be a really beautiful experience. In fact, I just watched a, a documentary the other night where a man's, was a father of a 19-year-old who was dying, and he was, the father himself was so upset and always crying and just really upset, and the the daughter who was dying, she she couldn't let go because she knew how upset he was, and so the hospice people talked to him, and he was able to give her permission, finally, to just hold her in his arms and give her permission to go and tell her he would be okay, and she died right then in his arms. So I think permission to go is so important when we're in those final moments, especially when people are in so much fear, because we do, in our culture anyway, we have a lot of fear, it seems, about the death process, because we don't, we don't remember what it's like. We don't know what we're going to experience. So if we can encourage someone, in fact, there's a, a term called an anamkara, which is like a soul friend um, or a death coach, some might call that, someone who will sit with you, someone who's not going to be real emotional but will just be with you in those final moments and agree to just be there, hold your hand if you want or to breathe in sync with you and just let you know that you're going to be safe and that it's okay to let go. I think that would be a wonderful thing if everyone had someone like that at the end. Well, I actually have, have been involved in that myself in, in terms of helping families. And you're absolutely right that that moment is a precious moment. It's actually a moment of great peace and love and mm-hmm. calmness. It's not what people expect it to be. It's not in any way gruesome or nasty or unpleasant. It's a beautiful moment. Right. But, the other, but the other point that you made about family members uh, allowing the person the freedom to go in their own time when they're ready mm-hmm. is, I think, one of the most important bits of counseling that should always take place for families. And w- when they can let go, then the person who is passing can let go when they're ready to and when they want to. Otherwise, as you say, they tend to get held here longer than they need to. Mm-hmm. The, I think that's uh, the, true. And the other thing that I know is from my experience that uh, some people want to pass alone. They don't actually want anybody there. So when the family are around the bed constantly, I always advise them to actually take some breaks because it may well be this is a very, very personal and intimate, intimate moment that some people definitely want the whole family around them and others want no one around them. And we have to, again, offer them the choice in that, in that moment. Absolutely. Both of my parents went in the middle of the night. They left and they yeah. could have while we were right there with them, but they didn't. And, you know, we have to honor their choice. I, I When I was a child, I had a friend, a school friend, who died of leukemia. And her parents, I think, mourned and probably still mourn, actively mourning, like for years and years and years. And I, my personal belief is that even once we leave our body and we are just the spirit or the soul, that we can end up being tied to the earth plane longer than we really need to be just because of the way that the family is processing it. So it's important, I think, that all of us just really let go of our fear about death and and know that it's just a natural part of the life cycle. That's, to me, the most important thing to keep in mind. Donna, we're coming up to our second break, so we'll take that now. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation.
is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porosik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host Peter Tong. I just want to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors for this 13-week series of shows. Sherry Chase of uh, Chase International Real Estate Company in Lake Tahoe and Reno, Nevada, and also supporting My Heart Centered Journey. And also uh, Matt, who is our regular production engineer on the show, and Brandy Jackson, who is uh, my producer, to enable us to bring these great shows for you. Uh, on a broad range of spiritual topics, all assisting us on our awakening journey. And I have with me today Donna Corso, who's just putting out a book right now, When the Wind Chimes Chime, and she just gave us a beautiful explanation of why that is the title of the book. And just before the break, Donna, we were talking about the actual dying process and leading up to that moment and how, how that works for people. So, so talk a bit about the spiritual aspects of, of the dying process. Okay, well, I do believe that we are spiritual beings, and we just happen to be in these bodies using them as vehicles so we can have our life experience. So, and my belief is that life is eternal, that once we cross through that, that veil, we find out that we didn't die at all, that we're still alive. And I think that my, my perspective is that people will experience whatever it is they expect to experience when they die. For instance, if one is a Christian, they might experience meeting Jesus. If one is Jewish, they might experience meeting Moses or Abraham. If they're um, Muslim, they might experience meeting Muhammad. I think whatever experience they expect to have, they're going to have something like that. I also think that 
ideally we have this wonderful, glorious experience where we see a light and we go through that tunnel that all the near-death experiencers talk about. I think that's the ideal. And I think it's really good to let people know that that's something that they, that's a goal they can have to look for that light. But, um, I guess I'd have to say that there might be some people that maybe don't have such a wonderful experience. If they've lived a really negative life and or if they are in such fear and they don't, they don't know what to expect or some people actually believe that it's just going to be darkness, that they're not going to exist anymore and that that's very fearful to them. So they might have that experience for a while. But my personal belief is once we are fully on the other side, that everyone eventually returns to the light. We just may have to, you know, take some time, work through the issues, work through whatever we need to let go of from this plane before we get to that light-filled place. So I think it's different, a different spiritual experience depending on what kind of a life we've lived and what our belief system is. Absolutely, and and from my experience, I would say that just just keep an open mind and and and, and look for the light because. Uh, I know, for example, that some highly religious people have have challenges in crossing over because of their belief in a judgment day, for example, and they may have some unrequited sin that they believe was terrible that they haven't dealt with, and they're fearful of that that moment. And it isn't like that. It, it isn't like that at all. There's a beautiful, loving, peaceful embrace that takes place. Mm-hmm. So I would always encourage everybody just to have an open mind about this moment and, and believe that there is something more to come and just allow it to unfold. Absolutely. So, so what is your uh, in your own feeling, your insight around suicide? Well, suicide for me, that's a very desperate act. It's a selfish act in a way, but I think that people who do take that route are not in the right mind to be able to clearly see that they're they're really making a choice that hurts so many people, including themselves. My uncle committed suicide when I was, uh, I guess, maybe in my early teens, and he was in his fifties or so. And that affected, I'm sure that affected my father's life because they were brothers and my, my uncle had taken a sawed-off shotgun, put it in his mouth and blew his brains out, essentially. My dad happened to be on his way to his brother's place at that very moment to talk to him about seeing a doctor. We're not sure if he suspected he had cancer or what the situation was, but when my father got there, he found his brother just moments after, and I'm sure that affected my dad's life for the rest of his life. So I think that that suicide is a very serious um, mistaken choice, but it happens, and I think it shouldn't be judged, because we have such a stigma against suicide, and we seem to have this stigma against people who take their lives or shorten their lives quickly rather than slowly. Because, you know, for me, suicide is to end the life cycle. That, that's what suicide is. It's to take your own life. There are some people who basically take their life, but they do it over a longer period of time. They might do it by smoking, knowing that it's going to end their life. They might do it by having a bad um, diet or whatever the lifestyle is that they are aware that it's probably going to shorten their life, but we don't judge it because they did it over a long period of time. But when someone does it abruptly, whether it's through shooting or hanging or or whatever it is, we have judgments against that, and we really need to have compassion instead of judgment because these people, you know, really had a lot of pain to be able to do that, and I believe that pain will go with them. And I mean, maybe not physical pain, but if it's spiritual pain or emotional pain, that, that... tends to go with them on the other side and they simply have to face it again. So for me, that, that is never 
a valid option because we have so many other options. And people who commit suicide are people who have the choice to live. There's another another thing you might want to we might want to discuss, and that's about aid in dying, and that's something very different from suicide. Yeah, well, let's 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 get to that in a second. But just in terms of the suicide, again, my understanding, and I've been involved again in circumstances where people have committed suicide, and as you say, there's an absolute desperation about it that they just can't see their way through uh, in the situation that they're in. But like you, I also believe that ultimately they are going to have to reface whatever it was that they couldn't deal with in this lifetime mm-hmm. in a future in a future one. So. Uh, it's still it's still something that whatever the person is trying to deal with, whatever the issue is, that they actually ultimately will have to. But I also believe and understand from my own work that there are beautiful angelic beings on the other side that will come and assist anyone and everyone who has crossed over for whatever reason, whatever purpose, with no judgment, absolutely. with love in their with the love in their heart. So there is absolute support for for everyone. Mm-hmm. So let's now talk about the, the, the other question that you were mentioning about dying with dignity and, and what that is all about. Yes, there's a wonderful organization, and I recommend everyone go to their website and just read through all of it. They're called Compassion and Choices. It's, uh, the president is Barbara Coombs Lee, and it really is it's an organization that helps people to die in peace. I think we have a right to choose how we want to die. And I don't look at this as suicide at all. Some people have used a, an unfortunate term called assisted suicide, and it really has nothing to do with suicide. Because when one is suicidal, they, it's a self-destructive impulse, and they have every reason and ability to live. But aid in dying is really for people who have been given a diagnosis already. They have some kind of a terminal disease. Their diagnosis has to be at least six, six months or less. They have to be adult. They have to be in their um, mentally competent. They have to be residents of the state, whichever state it is. And there are four states now that have enacted laws that are that make this legal, aid in dying legal. And it's basically just allowing one the choice to be given a prescription if they are in such pain that they cannot just cannot stand it anymore, and they know that they are already dying and they want to die in peace, then they can get a prescription that will help them to just die in peace. There are four states that have already enacted that. One is Oregon. Oregon was the very first state. And let's see, Washington was the second state. Oregon's law passed in 94, Washington in 2008, and then Vermont just very recently, just a couple of months ago, passed their law, and Montana also is on board with it. And there are there are different ways. I know in Oregon and Washington, they were both passed by a ballot measure. In other words, people voted on it. It was a ballot issue. Vermont was the first state to actually pass it as legislature. And in Montana, it was actually a case. There was a man named ba- uh, Robert Baxter, I think was his name. So there was a court case, Baxter versus Montana. And after all of the litigation went through with that, it was finally passed. So those are the only four laws that, four states that have the law saying that you do have this choice and that doctors will not be sent to jail for participating. They, of course, can participate or not. It's their choice. And really, it just gives a a person a feeling of comfort knowing that it's available if they want it. I know that they go through extensive interviews. They have to first find out if their doctor even will go along with this and then let the doctor know that they they would be interested in this if they ever reach a point where they need it. 
and then they have different interviews, and they can always change their mind. There's a wonderful documentary in Oregon. I think it's called How to Die in Oregon, and it really talks a lot about the whole process of that. But it has given so many people the comfort of dying in peace because, you know, if we're in such agony and pain, then our our passing may not be as peaceful as it could be. But if we can just relax into it, then we have a chance of crossing over very peacefully. And it's just a beautiful, a beautiful gift to a person who's in pain and dying and begging someone to help them. And it gives, again, uh, empowerment back to the person themselves in terms of making choices for themselves, for their life and for their death. Yes, absolutely. Good. Okay. So, actually, we want to get back in. We're just going up to the almost the end of the, this segment. We want to get back to talk about the book. Mm-hmm. But the second part of the book is quite different from the first in the sense that the first part was the story of Andreas and the second part of the book is, is about people's uh, death process and how they overcame fear. So how did you see those two connecting? Well, I didn't want to write a book that was just depressing. If everyone just read the first part of the book, they might it might be a downer. It's kind of a sad story. But it really, my point was to open people's hearts, but also to open their eyes. But I also want to tell people that we don't have to have the fear, the fear that our culture seems to have around death. So in the second half of the book, I really wanted to show that it is possible to go beyond the fear, to come to a point where we can accept death. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had written books stating the five stages of denial and, um, I'm trying to think of what they are, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then eventually acceptance. And I've known several people who have gotten to the acceptance part, and then they were able to really die very peacefully. I had a friend when I lived in Boulder, Colorado. She had been part of a dance community I was in, and she was dealing with her her last round of um, cancer, knew she was dying. She lived in a in a home with several other women, her sister and several other women, and she wanted to prepare for it. She wanted to come up with a, a program that would be handed out that had pictures of her at all stages in her life and uh, some of her favorite prayers and poems. And we all, and once she did die, her sister and the other women in the community prepared her body and had her in her bed, and we could all go in and say our goodbyes. They actually kept her right in the home, which you can do. They had dry ice packed around her. So anyway, at the um, she had planned her celebration of life. We all got together in the backyard. We planted a peach tree in her honor, and her ashes were buried with that. And then we did the Dances of Universal Peace. And it was such a beautiful send-off, I felt, for her. And, uh, you know, many other people have managed to plan what they want at the end of their life. There's even a wonderful book out about how to plan the party of your life. (laughs) So Donna, we're actually coming up to our final break, which we'll take now, and we'll return for the final segment, talking more about how we can overcome the fear of dying. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. 
Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. I have with me today Donna Corso, whose book, When the Wind Chimes Chime, is going to be released at the beginning of August. So Donna, give our listeners the information about the book, how they can get it, and how they can make contact with you, or any information connected to When the Wind Chimes Chime. Well, it is available already on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and the publishing company ExLibris.com. And my website is WhenWindChimesChime.com leaving out the word the. Perfect. Okay, so it's all, it's all fairly straightforward when windchimeschime.com. Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish you well with your launch, and I hope that goes very, very well. Thank you. Yes, if everyone could, if anyone wants to order the book, it would be nice to order during the week of August 1st. That would, be, that would be helpful. That's when our launch is going to be. So obviously you've, you've done some research on the whole area of, of evidence for a life after death. What, what have you discovered? I've read many books about that and near, near-death experience books, all of that, and I, I never doubted that there would be life after death. It seems logical to me because I don't believe that life is something that can end. It simply changes form. So when we're finished with a physical body, my feeling is we simply discard it or we leave it behind and we move on to something even greater, something that's probably beyond what we can imagine, but I believe it goes on and on. I don't think it can end. And And... Um, in the book, you sort of emphasize the importance of forgiveness as we move through our life, and particularly if we haven't yet got to that point near the death time. Why, why is that so important? What's so important about forgiveness? Well, I think it's important all during our lives, but especially as we are dying. We've all hurt people, and we have all been hurt. I think all of us have had periods of being a victim or a perpetrator. So if we hold on to grudges and we hold on to the anger and the hatred and all of those negative negative things in our bodies, they can lodge in our bodies and actually create the diseases that we're talking about here. 
And then as we're nearing the end, we really need to want need to have a clean closure. We need to have closure with the people that we feel have harmed us or sometimes we have harmed someone and we, we just really need to clear, clear the slate, you might say, because I don't think we can have as peaceful a passing if we're holding on to all of that stuff. And I think there's a lot of ways to do that. Sometimes we can go face-to-face with a person and other times we can't. They may not even be living anymore, but if we're holding that inside, we simply need to Well, not simply, it may not be simple, but we can create a scenario in our mind where we're actually talking to that person and just expressing how we feel, expressing the need to forgive them or expressing the need for them to forgive us and just letting it go. I think it's just a healing. It's a healing thing. Energetically, it clears the energy in our body, is my opinion. And obviously, this issue of fear is is critical. So how how can we prepare ourselves ahead of time for that future time, which is inevitable for all of us? Mm -hmm. Well, there are different levels of preparation. I would say that on a physical level, of course, we should have things in order. We can have our will even before we are getting old, (laughs) have that all done early. We can have advanced directives. That's very important if you think you might want to take advantage of death with dignity, you want to find out from your doctor whether he or she supports that. So those are the things in this physical world to do. But basically, I would say love life. You want to love life. You want to live a life that's in harmony. You want to love yourself. You want to love other people. You want to have good relationships. Let go of your grudges. Let go of judgments. Just really, love is crucial to everything. And also just to understand that that death is simply part of the natural life cycle. It's not something that we need to resist. It's not something that we can deny and have it not happen to us. It's going to happen, and it can be beautiful. If we're prepared for it, it can be beautiful. And we can even do things like planning, writing our obituary ahead of time and, and then try to live up to it. What do we want people to to feel about us after we're gone? And how can we how can we create that while we're living? So I guess I would put love at the top of the of the list there. If we can love ourselves and love other people, then our life is is surrounded with love. That's very important. You also mentioned a couple of examples in the book of people having experiences just before they passed over of having apparitions of of seeing things or hearing things. Just tell us a little bit about that. Well, my grandmother in particular, she was in a nursing home. She was I guess in her late 80s, and my mother went to visit her one morning, and my grandmother said, guess who came to visit me this morning? And my mom assumed it was probably the minister of our church, because who else would come that early in the morning? And my grandmother said, no, it was Jesus. And my grandmother was very lucid, very much in, in, you know, in control of her, her mind, very sharp, and she was wide awake, and this glowing person appeared at the foot of her bed, and he beckoned her as if to say, follow me. And so when she told that to my mom, you know, what could you say? It was very real to her, and I'm sure it was very real. I think this happens to a lot of people. And my grandmother died, I think, not too long after that, maybe a couple of weeks. But I think that really brought her to a peaceful place and a peaceful way to pass over. My cousin, who was very young as a child, I think she had an experience of waking up in the middle of the night, and there was someone standing next to her bed. And she didn't feel any fear she just somehow knew that because of her Christian background, she believed it to be Jesus and that this was her way of understanding that her life was about about her, her faith. But she's had other apparitions, too. She had one where her grandmother died. 
she was a teenager at the time, and her grandmother died, and it was at night. She went to her window of her bedroom and looked up in the sky, and she very clearly saw her grandmother there walking away from the earth, you know, up into the sky. And on either side of her, there was another being. Whether these were angels or what, I don't know. But, I mean, my cousin is a very a very rational person, but she knows that that's what she saw. So it's really, I think that's really the exciting part, you know, to know that we absolutely go on afterwards and we have we have visual proof of that. And there is, without doubt, a preparation that takes place to support people to come to a place of peace as we move forward. But as you suggest, it's actually important to start preparing ourselves today mm-hmm. by lo- loving ourselves deeply inside. Yes. So, Donna, we've come to the end of our time together. It's passed very, very quickly, and I really, really appreciate the work that you have done in putting this book together Thank and you. also helping people come to terms with uh, this very important process called death at the end of our physical lives. Mm-hmm. So thank you so very much. You're welcome. I appreciate you having me on the show, Peter. And good luck with the book. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's show with Donna Corso. Again, www.whenthewindchimeschime.com. And uh, my guest next week is Sebastian Dudley, Love Arising. And he'll be talking about self-love and inner peace, which is also part of the preparation that we are talking about with Donna today. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.